TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to this edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. It is a Wednesday November 1st edition of the show. We are going to preview East Carolina and Tulane, the green wave, the ranked green wave rolling into town to take on the East Carolina Pirates. Saturday, 3.30 kickoff on ESPNU. We'll discuss that. We're live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, X, whatever it's called now, uh, whatever social media platforms are out there. We are basically live and, uh, we got Bobby Harward back in studio. Bobby and I were both sick at this time last week with different illnesses. How, how you feeling, Bobby? Much better, much improved. Hope you are too. Yeah, I can. I, I can't get rid of the, the you know the post sick cough or like nasally feeling, but I've, I'm recovered. It's just I don't know what's going on, but either way, we're making it through. My voice is still coming back some as well. And Philip and Scooter killed it. I laid in bed and yeah. watched y'all live. So awesome job. Phillip Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, letting me uh, fill in for you guys. Sorry I had to, but uh, glad you guys are both feeling better. We know we have capable uh, ba- backups if, if needed, and Philip does a great job producing the show on a daily basis as well. Well, Bobby, um, let's talk some some football to begin with, some ECU football. This is Hoist the Colors. We'll get into college football, maybe a little bit of World Series at some point as well, and also some NFL, but I made the theme of today's show about the two-lane game. We'll talk about that here briefly. But first, we have not gotten your thoughts on the UTSA game. Uh, 41-27 loss for East Carolina, now 1-7, officially eliminated from bowl eligibility. That's disappointing. We did see some signs of life. We saw some other issues kind of crop up a little bit or, or, or pop up a little bit. So what did you make of the game in uh, San Antonio? I think the final score ended up being about, you know, the point spread that I thought. Um, I was a little shocked. So we were trunk or treating um, during the first half of the game. So just kind of following the score and keep, I was shocked. That, I mean, at one point I looked, it was 17-17. So yeah. I was like, holy smoke, we, we're scoring. <laughs> but then I found out one of them was a pick six. But still, still got a touchdown, still got a field goal. Offense, like you said, showed life. And unfortunately, as they showed life, the defense kind of disappeared. Um, but – I guess it's something you can build on offensively going into this next week, but still just need all sides of the ball kind of meshing together, and that's not happening right now. I said after the game, I write up, unfortunately, bad teams always find a way to lose. Like if your offense takes a step forward, it doesn't matter if it's football, you know, basketball, baseball, like in baseball, if you're struggling to score runs and uh, you finally get a good offensive day, if you're a bad team, like then your pitching staff falters or your bullpen blows it. Like, it just seems like ECU this year kind of has that curse as well. The defense still has been good this year, but it just seems like every time the offense puts together one of its best drives, the defense has a lapse and gives up a big play. Like you look at, um, you know, the App State game, ECU goes right down the field, scores, then you give up the long touchdown run. Uh, against Rice, you finally score to tie the game, then you give up the long touchdown pass. And this past weekend, I mean, it happened two or three times. So, you know, is that a mentality thing? Is that the offense? Maybe as part of it is the opposing offense is like, all right, let's go to our best play to answer here. What, what do you make of that right now? 
from a team perspective, it's just deflating. Uh, I think it's just all momentum that you gain from going down and driving the field and scoring is just gone instantly, especially with those big plays and big chunk plays. Um, the the other thing that amazed me watching the game, as I said, we missed, uh, missed the first half, so I went back and watched the first half in replay. And after the first quarter, we had 17 points on the board. And then finished with twenty seven. So and seven of those were scored with right, you know, five exactly. seconds left against a backup defense. And we're calling a timeout to make sure we can right. score. So yeah, I, I mean, technically they got the points on the board, but still, <laughs> yeah, it's just overall it's very deflating. It, it just, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with saying bad teams always find a way to lose, and and right now that. Just like winning is contagious, losing is also contagious, and and unfortunately we are just in a really bad funk of losing. Yeah, when you're one and seven, and I, I don't think this is the worst like one win football team I've ever seen. Like they're not. I mean, you could say offensively it's pretty bad, but like I feel like talent wise, there's some pieces there, and they play hard, so they're not just out there going through the motions. That's what makes it so frustrating too. Like I feel like to this point, the coaching staff has held it together, the locker rooms held it together. You know, they still played extremely hard at UTSA. I thought they just made some critical mistakes. So maybe it does say some things that this this team is still staying together, and that it does give me hope going into to Tulane because they're not out there just lollygagging, going through the motions. Don't look like they're interested. And that's that's really my my one argument of why Mike Houston should get another year. Give him. There's no locker room issues right now. Give him a chance to correct the offense. Um, you could argue there – I mean, there's really no argument. There has been mistakes made on that side of the ball over the last year, especially that are being highlighted now without a quarterback that can cover some of those issues. And so I'm in board, on board right now of giving him another year with the understanding of offensive changes are going to be made. And I think Gilbert needs to ha- have a hand in saying you got to have some philosophical changes offensively too. Um defensively I mean they're playing well the the one thing that really stood out UTSA that game looked and you said it early on very similar to the App State game and what I found interesting is it seems like our defense just really struggles with speed because as undersized as they are up front defensively Mm -hmm. and at the linebacker position they handle those big teams in the power run game really well. Right, they really get downhill. And it's just the speed that that is really hurting them. I mean, App State did it in the run game with the outside zone, and then they hit some big passing plays. But, I mean, UTSA just looks so much faster than us uh, on that side of the ball. I th- And maybe some of it is the safeties. To me, the, the safeties in this defense, they commit so hard to the run game. And part of that is good when you're playing a run or in team. Like Julius Wood is elite versus a run. But he can give up big plays. Part of it is he's playing a new position because they've had some injuries. But I think they do ask a lot out of these safeties in the run game. And if you have a good RPO team with good receivers, you see what you saw on Saturday. I mean, a couple of those big plays were just safeties not being able to cover downfield. So it's – yeah, I mean – and even UTSA, their their coach said after the game trailer, he was like, "They're not going to let you run the ball, so you have to throw it. You got to take shots." And he was like, "We knew we were going to have some big negative plays, but we also knew we could have some big positive plays." And unfortunately for ECU, they gave up what five or six plays over forty yards, but you can get like one or two, but you can't be giving up just gash after gash. So that's always been kind of the next step for this defense, and it feels like you know right now. And the, the other thing too is Tulane's going to see that. 
their whole game is run the football, play action, go deep. So they're going to try to do the same thing. I that's ex- I was just thinking yeah. that in my head. Um, yeah, Tulane is going to mirror identically what UTSA did, but they're much better at it. They have better players. So I think it. Hopefully the defense learns from their mistakes. They can correct some of those things. But uh, that does concern me going into this two-lane game is, I mean, it's on tape now. They know how to expose ECU's defense. They can see it done now really twice at least. Um, So, and Tulane has better talent offensively. They have a better quarterback than Frank Harris, in my opinion. I think Pratt's pretty freaking good. Um, He may not be as athletic, but he's still pretty close. He's not far off. Yeah, he's really good. Got a cannon for an arm. Smart, accurate, tough to fool. So that'll be interesting to see that chess match there. Um, all right, so I made the title of today's show, How Much Could a Win Over Tulane Salvage ECU Season? And we'll put you on the spot here, Bobby. When is the last time ECU football defeated a ranked opponent? Ranked opponent. I'll give you a hint. It was when you were on the uh, the staff. Okay. Wow, is it was it an American conference team? It was not. It was not. It was a non conference team. So it would have been Virginia Tech twenty fourteen. That was the second to last one because North Carolina was ranked when y'all hung seventy on No them. way. Yep, they were ranked twenty I think twenty five by the A people. <laughs> and that was the last win ECU has beaten a ranked team. Last year ECU should have beat state. That would have been one. There's been some close calls. Uh, even Scotty Montgomery, I think, had a, a couple of competitive games against ranked teams. 2015, y'all were close to beating Temple when they were ranked. Maybe uh, another one as well. Um, Florida, I think Florida, they were yeah. ranked that game. So, I, look, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying, you know, and I made the argument. I've made the argument. And I asked Coach Houston about it, and he didn't really bite on it. But I was like, look, no bowl game. You have to kind of treat this as your bowl game because you're getting a ranked team at home. How much could a win this Saturday kind of salvage ECU season? Clearly, it's not the season ECU wants. But if you beat a ranked team with everything going on, how much does that maybe change perception? Well, first, you weren't asking what his favorite color was, or I was, <laughs> uh, yeah, I got I, you were I, asking I didn't football ask questions about peanut butter pie <laughs> or any of that, which uh, apparently I need to. Yeah, you're catching strays again. Um, I think Joe said it yesterday, and I think he's right. It really, what it does, I don't know how much it salvages this season as much as it builds some momentum to to finish the year strong and to to carry over into the next season. Right now, what they're trying to do probably is hold on to this recruiting class. I'm not as informed on, you know, who may be getting poached and who may not be, but you know, when you're one and 11, what's everybody recruiting against you going to say? Your coach is not going to be there but one more year. So... That win at least carries you some momentum, allows you to build on that, and really use it recruiting-wise, especially with some of those junior college guys and some of those transfers and hitting up the transfer portal. Yeah, so and maybe does it make a statement, too, that like we talked about, the locker room still together. If you can go out and beat a team like Tulane, and this is still a pretty young roster, so you can make the argument, all right, this is – this is kind of what we envisioned with this team. It just took us a lot longer than it should have to get to this point to where we could, you know, win some of these games in the league. I think the win over Tulane solidifies Mike Houston is here next year. I will say this, and I've been trying to think on, you know, what scenarios could he be gone? Because obviously the contract plays all into that. Um, 
if they go one and eleven and you lose to Tulsa, I think that would be bad. Serious question. I think the Tulsa one is the key. If they can win Tulsa, regardless, that solidifies him. This win this week would definitely do that. Beating a top twenty-five team, honestly, it gives you confidence going into another road game against FAU the following week. Because really, the the end part of this schedule there with FAU. Navy and Tulsa, those are all winnable games. Mm-hmm. FAU's probably the best of the three, but it's still it should not be a blowout. So Bobby, I was gonna bring up the point, you know, two years ago, Tulane was two and ten. And they did not fire Willie Fritz. You know, Pratt had been banged up. And I don't think they beat a ranked team that year. So can we kind of use that if, as the media if by some miracle we do beat Tulane on Saturday to I guess kind of calm the fans down and use that as talking point is like, look, Fritz went two and ten. He didn't get fired. Here is Houston with two wins, and one of them is over the number twenty-one team in the country. I mean, is that fair enough? I think, and I know you asked Bobby, and Bobby, you can weigh in on this. I, I look at it. I think you can draw some things from it, but I, I wouldn't look at it as a direct comparison. They had the hurricane that year that displaced them. And I can't remember how long they were displaced, but it was an issue. I think it was like three weeks Mike, start the season. Yeah, Michael Pratt was also playing hurt like most of that year. So like to me, they had a they had a serious injury to their quarterback. He tried to play through it. He was not the same guy. He had the hurricane. There were other factors. Um, but I do think you can draw a comparison. So that that would be my answer. I don't know, Bobby. What do you think? Yeah, and again, to me, it's still I don't know, and maybe that's it's part. I know your question is if we win against Tulane. I, I I don't know how much that is a direct comparison as in it as much as it is winning over a top twenty five opponent almost solidifies you're going to return. Well, I, yeah, and that was my point. Was yeah, it was, it, it was not that it's Tulane and this is who we're comparing them to. I'm mm-hmm. just saying, hey, you got a top twenty five win. They didn't even beat a top twenty five team that year, and look how quickly they've turned it around. But I I, I agree with Igo's points. Get what you're saying there. Yeah. So Tulane under Fritz. So this is year five for Coach Houston. That was year six. They went. This is his tenure at Tulane: four and eight, five and seven, seven and six, seven and six, six and six, two and ten, which would appear to be an outlier, kind of like Coach Houston this year. And then twelve and two, seven and one this year. And so I do remember he changed both coordinators. Their only wins that year, they beat Morgan State, and they beat a bad South Florida team. They did lose a lot of close games. They lost at Memphis by five. They lost to Tulsa in overtime. Lost at UCF by four. Lost to number two Cincinnati, thirty-one twelve. You know, so they they played a lot of competitive games. You could say ECU's done the same. So I mean, I, I think there are some things to draw there. My question will be, what did Willie Fritz do that offseason? I know he changed his coordinators, and uh, probably really went into. I mean, they had Michael Pratt coming back, which was a big piece of it. We knew that he was good already. He changed both coordinators, probably really went in, reevaluated. The thing about losing is, Bobby, when you lose this much, you break out the microscope and you're looking at every detail and trying to figure out what do we need to fix to get it right. So I do think there is something to, if you give Coach Houston a full offseason to really evaluate what's wrong, he's proven he can be a good coach and fix it. It's just a matter of can he fix it. Yeah, and to me, really, the true data point with that is what he did with Bob Trott. Is it Bob Trott, right? Yeah, Bob Trott, former D.C. Yeah, Bob Trott, and then now hiring Blake Harrell. Like, you you, you see he recognized an adjustment needed to be made after week one, and or excuse me, season one, and then, you know, made the adjustment, brought in Blake Harrell, took Blake Harrell just a few years to, you know, get the personnel and everything he – 
he wanted. But right now, I mean, I'd argue that's a pretty well-oiled machine over there defensively. They have depth. They have the position or, excuse me, the players or um, speed and stuff that they want inside. They have, all their positions are fitting into place exactly how they envisioned it. They're recruiting to what their style of defense is. It's not just a hodgepodge mess over there. Offensively, that's why my argument is to bring him, give Houston another chance, let him hire an offensive coordinator. And, and I, again, the caveat to me comes with philosophy needs to change. It cannot be the same philosophy of, hey, we're going to play early 90s, 1980 football and ground and pound and just roll out. Like we, you know, you need to air it out and spread it out a little bit. Uh, bring a young guy in that, that's going to do that and give him a chance well even fritz was more of an option coach at one point he kind of mm-hmm. really kind of reassessed and there's still some principles in there but he he really reassessed what they were doing offensively too so i mean some of that there is a comparison to be made and i, I i'm curious if mike houston they're pretty i don't know how close they are but they talk how much does he ask hey willie what did you you know i'm having a, a similar deal that you had a couple years ago what did you really look at yeah. and i think Maybe that conversation goes on behind the scenes. Too. And what year was that again? That Willie Fritz. So that was twenty twenty one. Was it the transfer portal thing? Then I'm trying to remember. That would have been the first first I believe, year, really year of it, and then NIL kind of took over that off season. Yeah, and that that's really the difference too. Is you know, there's a little bit of free agency aspect to it now with the NIL or the transfer portal, and you know, being able to have some more quick fixes than necessarily he, he potentially had back then. And from my understanding, Tulane has really capitalized on the Cotton Bowl success. They're now over a million dollars with their NIL fund. ECU, not in that realm right now, probably half that at best. So, you know, there's other factors in play too. And Did you you see the article uh, written on FAU and their Final Four run and the amount of uh money that they got? I mean, they got billions of dollars for the Final Four run. And FAU, American Conference, here we go, men's basketball Final Four. Yeah, so, I mean, there's just a lot to to take into account there. We're going to have Doug Gomes from Team Boneyard join us next week. He is uh, kind of the chair of the board right now, so we'll dive into that conversation and really compare where ECU is. On the NIL front. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll talk what are ECU's realistic chances to win this game. We'll also maybe take a look around the American. Unfortunately, ECU not in the race, but there are three undefeated teams at the top. We'll discuss that and then look around college football as well with Bobby Harward, Philip Hilkenden producing today. We'll be right back. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Armageddon! Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in. Wednesday edition of Voice of Colors, Tulane Week. Bobby Harward is in the studio. Philip Pilkin and producing. I'm Stephen Igo. Bobby's appearance today brought to us by Sup Dogs. Check them out, 213 East 5th Street, Greenville. And we got our Sup show coming up tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. That'll be live streamed on the ECU Sports Network on social media platforms. So follow them on their respective social media channels. Again, Sub Dogs, 213 East 5th Street, bringing us Bobby today. And uh, we had a comment during the break, if I can find it here. Tim Smith might be related to uh, Bobby Harwood's wife. Uh, I do not think that is a direct comparison. He's talking, we were, so we were, for those just joining us, we were talking about Tulane 2021. They went 2-10. ECU clearly having the down year. What, you know, what's a fair comparison there? Uh, Tim says it's not a direct comparison. 
questions at quarterback and other positions, we would have to microwave and hit on 90 to 95% of recruits as well as new offensive coaching staff. I mean, I think it's it's definitely not – I would say it's not a direct comparison. I think that is fair. I think there are some – you can pull some pieces. It shows that you can go from a bad season to a good season, but you do have to get a lot right. Mm-hmm. I do think – ECU's defense, so probably in a better spot than what Tulane's defense was during that bad year. So, like, you could look at it as, all right, if you can retain the defense, fix the offense, maybe that's the, you know, the indirect comparison you can make to yeah. turn it around. And devil's advocate to that is they had their quarterback in place and Michael Pratt, so yeah. and we don't. So you have to hit on the quarterback too. So yeah, it, a lot of different ways we can spin it and analyze it, overanalyze it. The bottom line is they have to go out there and get the job done, recruit, bring in quality players. In my opinion, you bring a quarterback, you bring in three offensive line and two receivers, and that I mean that's the minimum of what you have to get out of the transfer portal. Yeah, and you got to find a way to retain Antoine Jackson, Savon Revel. Apparently, it's his name, not Siobhan. We figured I that out. I thought it was Siobhan. So. I, I, so did Coach Houston. We just figured it out. <laughs> Savon Revel, uh, and, and your defensive line. So like. There's just a lot in, in how do you do all that with the portal. That's part of the reason we'll have Doug Gums on next week. Is I'm going to ask him, like, how much money does ECU need to get these things done? I mean, that, that's kind of – because people don't really, I think, understand how much you need to do that. Right, and I think that's where the ball has been missed by ECU yeah. uh, from the standpoint there really has not been communication on their side. It's just, hey, donate, donate. Well, what are we – donating for obviously this money's going to players but you know where are we stacking up how you know what more is needed what more you know can be done from a fan standpoint what kind of that ratio too with the pirate club because you know it's people's well-earned money they have to i mean it's it's not easy to give money right and so then you're now deciding between pirate club and boneyard and you know how what percentage needs to be allocated where so that or make i don't know if something can be tied in right now you have to have a fee to get season tickets and stuff well can some of that be credited to what you donate to boneyard and still qualify for season tickets is that something they're allowed to manipulate like right. i don't know there's a lot to uh a lot to ask so we'll try and get to the bottom of that. that's really a goal of ours this next few weeks because the portal opens in december you can't wait till december to raise money you need the money in november to kind of plan all right other teams are going to have the funds to go out and buy a quarterback put that in quotation marks but really that's what's happening ecu's got to have the funds too so we'll have that conversation all right ecu tulane tulane very good they're averaging 30 points a game they're giving up 20 i'm just looking at these last four games though all conference games they are four and up but it's not like they're killing teams bobby they beat uab 35 23 memphis was an impressive win they won 31 21 i think they closed that game out yeah they scored 14 unanswered in the fourth quarter Memphis led for a lot of that game. Uh, North Texas, they squeaked by 35-28. And Rice, they won 30-28. I was talking to Corey Glore. We'll have him on tomorrow's show. He was saying Tulane's thing has been starting fast, getting a huge lead, and almost blowing it. So, I don't know. You look at these scores. You look at that, that they've struggled in the second half, which is the opposite of what ECU has done. What do you make of that? Um or I guess I should say in line with what ECU's done. So that could be an interesting thing there. But uh, what do you kind of make of – does ECU have a shot to win this game? I mean, they're 16-and-a-half-point underdogs, but I feel like there's a, a chance they hang around. 
if they can limit the big plays early, like you said, it kind of, it's kind of the opposite of ECU struggle. They've been in the game or winning in the fourth quarter and then have blown right. the lead. So, uh, you, I don't know. It's it's tough in the sense that, I mean, almost everything has to go perfect. Uh, but if you can, again, kind of what we, we discussed a few weeks ago, if you can just hang around, if you can limit the big plays, then you know you, you give yourself a chance. Now, what offense is going to show up from ECU is the the biggest question. Right. Um, are we going to see, you know, I mean, they dominated time of possession for the longest time against UTSA. Are they going to be able to move the ball up and down the field? Are we going to see some of the same philosophy that we saw against UTSA against Tulane on Saturday? And, I mean, I feel like we're, we've beaten a dead horse at this point, but Alex Flynn – he looked more like a quarterback last game that you can maybe win some games with. I mean, I just, you know, we've gone back and forth between Mason Garcia and Flynn. Maybe it's just Flynn's ride for the rest of the season. At this point. I think it has to be yeah. unless you give Raheem Jeter that shot against right. Tulsa. I don't think you go back to Mason Garcia. Um, I mean, honestly, watching that UTSA game too, the thought came in my head, if you just get – if you get three offensive linemen and two receivers who are actually going to catch and secure the yeah. football, you can win with Alex yeah, Flynn. if you had a better it, supporting cast. Yeah. Right. It may not be the prettiest thing in the world, and it may you may not be putting up 50-something points, but he can manage a game and he can secure wins. Um, He's tough. Like right. he, I kind of like some of his traits, too. Like yeah. smart, tough tough guy. I uh, would like to see him slide a little more, but right. he, he – you know. We, we interviewed him yesterday, Bobby, and I asked him, I was like, so do you look at, like, sliding there? And because uh, I was like, you're taking some shots, man. He was like, well, he was like, I think we really need those three or four extra yards. And I was like, yeah, y'all kind of do with the <laughs> offense. So, like, I get where he's coming from, and he's also trying to send a message to his team. But, you know, I like Alex a lot. I, I think there's, you know, realistically there's some limitations with, with, the, with his game a little bit, but I do think he is good enough to win with. I mean, he just doesn't have the best supporting cast. Exactly, yeah. I mean <laughs> – is he going to make some bad throws? Yes, but he's also learning. This is his first live game experience, and that's why I think if he finishes out the year, I mean, that still does not negate the fact you go get a quarterback in the transfer portal, but if that quarterback right. ends up not hitting and Alex stays and doesn't go to med school, then you know it's at least serviceable as long as you get the pieces on the offensive line and the wide receivers. I did ask him if he uh, has given that any thoughts. He basically said it would be an after-the-season decision as far as med school versus his extra year of eligibility so that'll be a conversation he's got to have down the line grant matthews says bobby's wearing black for the funeral that is and has been the 2023 ecu football season i'd also make an argument i'm wearing a comfy long sleeve shirt that the weather changes in greenville north carolina 30 degrees in 24 hours it does it does i was i was hoping to be a little warmer for halloween last night but uh it is what it is we made it through all right, we may get our Halloween report before the end of the show. Let's look at the American real quick. Three teams tied atop the league. ECU has the pleasure of playing all three. They have already lost two, SMU and UTSA. They're 4-0. Tulane comes in at 4-0 in the league. Memphis and FAU 3-1 and in, in second place. And then you've just got a gigantic jumble of teams, 2-2 two and two or worse. Rice, USF, and Navy are 2-2. Two and two. North Texas, Tulsa, Charlotte, UAB are one and three, and then down at the bottom, Temple and East Carolina at zero and four. So, looks like a three-horse race. Interestingly enough, Tulane and UTSA play the final week of the regular season. SMU 
gets the free pass to the conference championship because they don't play Tulane or UTSA. So nice job by the conference there, really setting them up. What are your thoughts on kind of this? And I don't know, are you interested in this at all now that ECU is out of the race, or is it just a, a, a blip in your college football radar? Uh, it's kind of a blip, honestly. Un- unfortunately, right now, I think uh, just a yeah, just how bad ECU has been. But it's not like I mean, Tulane has been pretty solid this year. Obviously, they're seven and one, but nothing they've done so far has really just blown my away. door. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's not it's hard. And SMU can kick rocks. I could care less <laughs> about them. They go into the ACC because they have oil money. So it, it really, I mean. I pay attention mostly to the, I guess, historic, I, is, if that's even what you can call it, American teams like South Florida and Memphis and, you know, the Temple. historic American teams. <laughs> yeah, essentially, a.k.a. Conference USA from 2008. But Yeah, I mean, even the matchups this weekend, like Navy and Temple play, FAU is at UAB, UTSA is at North Texas, USF and Memphis, I guess that's an historic American matchup. Yeah. Tulane and ECU, would that be a historic match? That's a historic. That's a legacy game. (laughs) Legacy game. Charlotte and Tulsa, that'll be a barn burner. Well, they have five people in the game. Good night. Tulsa favored by four and a half. Still can't believe ECU lost to Charlotte, man. Uh, SMU is at Rice. All right, so you ran some numbers, Bobby. Yep. ECU in the American Athletic Conference, this dates back to 2014, their first year. Yep. So, so runs through these numbers. 2014, I went back. Uh, I saw a post on social media about the you know the conference record for ECU since 2014. So that couldn't sleep one night. As you know, we have a baby coming here soon. So I was just up. I was like, you know what? Let me compare it to the rest of the conference. So to give some perspective, there has been eight teams that are currently in the American Conference that have been in the American since 2014. Navy. I included in that eight, but technically they joined in 2015. So their conference totals, ECU is eight out of eight at 25 and 51. Tulane, for those who want to have hope and continue our uh, comparison trend to Tulane, they are actually seventh at 30 and 46. South Florida, 30 and 45 is at sixth. Tulsa's in fifth place, SMU in fourth, Temple in third, believe it or not. Surprising. All the Matt Rule wins early on. Navy, even though they joined in 2015, have the second most wins at 39 and 28. And then lastly, Memphis is leading the way at 50 and 26. So ECU clearly struggled through the Scotty Moe era and then struggled again early Houston era. And uh, would y'all get three and five in the league in roughs last year? Yep, three and five. Five and three and three and five were the two. I just too many one and seven. Mm-hmm. Conference records, and uh, you know, Mo had two and six, or one and seven, two and six, one and seven, and then Houston one and seven first year. That's what kills you is just one and seven, two and six, one and seven. I mean, and yeah. then this year is going to be, you know, they're already zero and four, potentially would, one and seven. Yeah, you would hate to have another one and seven, or gosh, an zero and eight conference record. That would be. It's just been a struggle, and this that's the sad, the, the sad thing about it is you said it uh, yesterday, I think, in the comments section, is like you're losing to all the teams that just entered the league. Right. That have not had the resources to recruit. I mean, they have not recruited for the American for 
for maybe but a year now. And I and that's why I made the comment too of maybe Conference USA is not as far off from the American as I had originally thought. Maybe I, not. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I remember I go back to 2013, Ruffs last year. I think that's the year we, or excuse me, not Ruffs last year. I don't know where I got that from. Last year in Conference USA, mm-hmm. um, we won 10 games. But I remember those teams came up, I think, from the Sun Belt into Conference USA. That was FAU, yeah. FIU, all those teams then. And I mean, we dominated those they teams. They weren't very good. You know, they weren't. And in a way, it's a lot of those similar teams are now moving up to the American. And then on the flip side, you look at the old American teams. Central Florida, um, Houston, and Cincinnati, they're a combined 1-14 and 14 right now in Big 12 play, and I think that Houston win was on a Hail Mary, our Thursday yeah. night game against SMU, so you could argue they really are almost 0-15. Yeah, I think it. I think it's, I don't know, maybe the parity in the non-power leagues is not as much as we thought. That's what I'm starting to ask. I mean, to get- the fact that UTSA could come in, really struggle against – their non-conference schedule, you know, they played Tennessee. They also Army. And then they've really ran through the American in their first year here. makes you wonder. Now, Frank Harris was hurt for some of that. But even a school like FAU, pretty bad non-conference, now 3-1 and one in conference. And I think the league is also just down in general. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. not helping. As well. Like, even Tulane, like, they're the best team in the league. But like we said earlier, they're not – juggernauts right they're not beating teams by 20 30 points that you know like you would think okay Tulane is seven and one and they're gonna play North Texas they should beat them by 20 right. points that's not happening all right let's get a break in we'll come back we'll take a look around college football NFL as well with Bobby Harward on the other side we will do that this is hoist the colors on a Wednesday the Pirates play here Arr! this is hoist the colors radio with Steven Igo. That was so good. 194.3, the game. Welcome back in on this Wednesday. Bobby and I were having the all too infamous. Would it be more fun to be in the Sunbelt conversation? 100% yes. <laughs> From a competitive standpoint in football, I definitely agree. We all know the, the monetary value of being in the American and why ECU will be. Maybe that'll be, we'll do that as an off season show. Works. Maybe uh, look into the crystal ball. But, yeah, it's just like playing teams like Tulsa and even Tulane. Great respect to Corey Glore, one of my good friends. But uh, just no – outside of Corey Glore, I have like no – like he's the only commonality I have with Tulane. Well, and outside of the last two or three years, Tulane has been trash. Yeah. I mean, they've really just been a bad football school. So, I don't know. Playing Marshall – Having regional teams to play against, and like at it was least fun to a, play at this year and play right. Marshall. Like those games felt like they mattered a lot more than when I went to Rice. Yeah, and maybe that's nostalgia for me growing up in the you know the nine team ACC where you you know have all these teams literally within like four or five states. But I don't know having opposing fans in the in Dowdy Ficklin makes it fun. Like having Marshall's going to travel, ODU will travel, JMU will travel, App State will travel. Like. I mean, honestly, and they fit culturally. Georgia Southern's right. a perfect example, football and baseball. I know we're turning into a basketball school now, but right now Georgia Southern fits that. And I don't know, just the, outside of the money, and I, I honestly am of the belief that money's going to probably even out more when the next TV contracts come. Yeah, I think Mike Oresco, he's worked his magic for a long time, but eventually does that run out? And, you know, how long? How much longer is Mike Oresco going to be the A 
the AC commissioner. You know, I mean, I, I think he has been a big part of this with his connections with the TV industry. And I worry about when, once he's done and retires, where the American goes from a leadership standpoint. But whole other conversation. Um, we'll we'll have that talk here in the off season because it comes up every off season, and I understand why. All right. This week in college football, we talked about the American and the crappy slate there. Did you know that Missouri is ranked 12th? Is that a real thing? Dude, they're pretty good. They're fun to watch. I, I'm pay, I haven't maybe watched pay attention. a single Missouri game this year. Well, I, working with Brandon Jones, I pay attention more okay. to, to people who I worked with and at least follow and keep track of them. They've, didn't they've been pretty good. There. Yeah, he uh, left Houston. I think he saw the writing on the wall with Dana Holgerson. And, Smart uh, man. Yeah, hopped on with Missouri. It's funny. He actually almost took the Missouri job right before he left here and left to Cal. Um, it was, I think – he just missed the Missouri job and then got on with Sonny Dykes at Cal, and the rest is history. Missouri 7-1. I bring them up because they're going to Georgia this weekend. Georgia is 8-0 in the initial uh, college football playoff rankings. They were second behind Ohio State. Florida State on the road at Pittsburgh this week. Bedlam, the final Bedlam, at least scheduled Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. I'm looking forward to seeing what Stillwater will be like, you know those people want to beat Oklahoma so bad. Especially with them leaving out to the SEC, thinking they're high and mighty. And, and Oklahoma, uh, the, Unfortunately for them, Oklahoma's coming off a loss, so I think they do rebound and rebound strongly. Uh, but it's fun rivalry nonetheless. Penn State goes to Maryland, Virginia Tech, which is quietly 3-1 and one in the ACC there at Louisville. Too late. It's always good to see ECU on the top 25 scoreboard until you look at the record. Right. (laughs) Tulane is 17-point favorite. Going to East Carolina, Cal takes on Oregon, Kansas at Iowa State. That's a a trap game for Kansas. I guess Iowa State's favorite, not even really a trap game. But Kansas coming off the big win over OU. This is a classic letdown spot. We're not, not doing our picks yet, but I can already tell you, Bobby, I'm taking Iowa State in this one. Smart choice, especially Kansas coming off a big win, maybe riding a little too high. Washington and USC, That so if you're going to the ECU game, you're like, what games are on in the evening? 7.30 Eastern kickoff, undefeated Washington at Lincoln Riley and the Trojans, and then LSU goes to Alabama. Those are kind of the two marquee evening games as, uh, you know, you got some other games, but those are the best ones. What's going on with Lincoln, man? They're struggling yeah. right now. I think – I don't know. I think the defense has kind of worn down the offense a little bit. I know they've gotten a lot of points scored on them, but things just seem to be a little bit out of sync. Um, I mean, this is a – really, to get back on track, what are they, 7-2? and 7-2. and two. And then I think – I believe they have another ranked game after playing Washington. They had to – Yeah, they go Washington at Oregon UCLA to close out. Oh, that's brutal. I mean, they could – they probably won't go 7-5, but they could go 7-5. And I'm intrigued to see if he makes a move defensively. I know Grinch has been right. with him since he was at Oklahoma, and he kind of hired him towards the end of that tenure there. But it's been – honestly, I have not been super impressed with Caleb Williams this year, and he just seems off. I don't know what's kind of going on there. Um, he made some bad throws in that Notre Dame game. Very like really bad, bad throws. throws. And at Washington, I tell you what – I mean, I rarely get to watch them, but they were fun to watch the other week uh, at that 3.30 time slot. Yeah, Washington, it feels like one of Washington or Oregon should get into the playoff. Um, the problem is Washington's upcoming schedule is extremely difficult. At USC, 
versus Utah at Oregon State and then versus Washington State, which is a rivalry. So, I mean, all four of those games are not easy. And I guess if they lose one, they'll be able to rematch with Oregon in the championship and then probably the winner of that has a good shot at making the playoff. Uh, but I would like to see – I think both those teams are deserving of being in with how good the Pac-12 is this year. What do you make of LSU-Bama? Do you feel like Bama has a, another run in them to get back into the playoff mix? They got LSU at Kentucky, Chattanooga at Auburn. I think they went out. Um, I don't know if they <clears throat> excuse me, beat Georgia, assuming it's Georgia in the SEC championship game. Um, it, now, if Missouri beats Georgia this week, that changes things a little bit, and they I could very well see them making a run. They just don't seem like the dominant Alabama of past. Um, you know, I haven't followed them super closely this year. LSU, they got Daniels, I believe, is that quarterback, and, mm-hmm. you know, he's pretty explosive. They normally struggle with a running quarterback, so at least be a close game. All right, so there's your college football slate, at least the marquee games. Philip and I were talking earlier, Bobby. The NFL this week is interesting. He he made a good point. Was it Philip only a couple games where the the records aren't pretty much identical? Yeah, there's like three games where the teams have they've not either won the exact same number of games or they've won only one more game than the opponent. And I think like one of those is Philly has two more wins than Dallas, but that should still be a good game. Yeah, one of them has a bye. Well, I guess, yeah, Dallas has had a bye, so they've played less games. Indy's got two more wins than Carolina, and I think whoever the Bears are playing, they're 2-5 and five and the other team's 2-4. or four and four. Yeah, but again, the Bears have also had a bye. The Saints haven't. So, yeah, it's really good slate. It's going to be entertaining. It's like all the good teams play the good teams. Bad plays bad, and the teams you're still scratching your head trying to figure out what the heck they're going to do. Same boat, and it's a lot of those games, I think, because most of the good teams actually are on a bye. If you look at it, uh, the Lions are on a bye. The Broncos, great team on a bye. <laughs> okay, that was said. Um, but, uh, crap, somebody other than the Lions, though, there's 49ers and 49ers and Jags. <laughs> yeah, so you got three teams right there that are solid Super Bowl contenders, probably, that are on byes. So. Hey, Denver just beat the best team in the league. Shout out That's to Quan McMillan. Quan McMillan. Quan, By the way, Panthers. Back on the win. We didn't go over. It's a victory. Uh, it's a victory Wednesday. Yeah. So congrats to your Panthers. Do they have another one in them? Can they beat the Colts this weekend? I honestly, and feel like Minshew Mania. They yeah. got a chance. Minshew Mania. Well, you got the Colts. They still got Green Bay. I'm still not sold on Green Bay. Um, not being dog water, I think they are. So uh, I think that's a potential win. And then I mean, you got still Chicago. got one more with Mike. You got Chicago next week on Thursday night. <laughs> Still got uh, Atlanta one more time. Get Atlanta at home. So, yeah, I don't know. I tell you what, I'm excited this week is that Chiefs Dolphins game. That will be That's fun to watch fun. from an offensive standpoint. Andy Reid and Mike McDaniel. Yeah. yeah. 9:30 a.m. too. I'm excited yeah. to wake up and watch that game. Like I will be awake with a newborn and happily just rocking her yeah. as I'm watching yeah. that game. Yeah. Well, and then be. you got to stay up late though. You might need to get a midday nap because I think the Sunday night game is like what is it? Bills. Bills Bengals. Bengals. Oh, yeah. Yes. So how do you? I mean, we did. We got kind of hosed out of that game last year, obviously. <laughs> I think Bills. we got one quarter before the DeMar Hamlin thing happened. Two years ago, it was a great game, but it was snowing, so you didn't get the full, like, you know, getting to see Josh Allen and Joe Burrow air it out. So, you, it was fun. I was out here playing chess 
when deciding the induction date for our baby because I you knew it. Brittany had no idea, but over here I was looking at the slates to see what weekend was the best football, and here we are. Yeah, so big news, baby, uh, baby number three in the Harvard household. Yeah, starts yeah. to make her starts make her make the way. Right. Yep. Shout out to my wife Brittany. She's been a rock star through this, and go in tonight and hopefully have a baby tomorrow and. Thank you to the grandparents who will be helping and assisting. That support is definitely needed. But, uh, yep, baby and number three. We'll see if, if Bobby – I already told him he can take next week off. Um, but we'll see if he's if he's able to make it back in. We might get you over the phone hear some babies in the background. <laughs> but we'll see what we can do. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show, give any final baby advice as well. This is uh, Hoist the Colors on Wednesday. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go. How good is this? On 94.3, the game. Welcome back in. Got a few minutes left. Bobby Harward in studio here. Big news for him. Baby number three on the way. He's making his last public appearance with us. We are honored to have him on Hoist the Colors. And uh, will you be holding the new baby watching the Pirate basketball team in action on, on Monday night? I think I will. I'll be tuning in to ESPN Plus um, and, and probably holding her in some capacity. Uh, my kids will be running around the other two uh, crazily, playing with toys, doing something, but randomly screaming, go Pirates, as they run by. As long as they scream, go Pirates, it's acceptable. Yeah, they did. So when my sister came down, I don't think I followed up on this. Obviously, being a Charlotte alum, she taught them go Niners, so they've been randomly <laughs> saying that as well, which uh, can't. Yeah. The women's, the women's soccer team, by the way, losing to Charlotte 5 nothing yesterday. That was not good in the uh, conference tournament. So Charlotte has her number right now, apparently. Oh, that's not good. Going to have to get them back. Volleyball, we went to that uh, Memphis game, the ECU-Memphis volleyball game a few weeks back. That was a lot of fun. The kids were super engaged. Uh, outside of throwing M&Ms on the floor and eating them, they were pretty in tune with the, the volleyball game and a lot of action, so that was fun. Hopefully we can just beat volleyball Charlotte in volleyball next weekend. We host them for two. Revenge games. Yeah, we need it. Especially right. after losing them twice in soccer in the last five yeah. days. Or and losing been. by a combined score of 8-1. to one. That's yeah. not fun. So next Saturday, November 11th, guys, we got a conflict. ECU hosts Campbell in basketball at 4 o'clock. They play FAU in football at 4 o'clock. Mm. Where are we going? Are we going basketball? Are we going double TV? If you're Bobby, like, what are you watching, football or basketball? I got double TV. Okay. I'll do uh, pirate football on the big one. And then I have a smaller TV, about 36 inches, that I have had with me since 2007. Wow. And so that will be – that was my first purchase with actual real – my money I earned from a job at Foodline. And that TV well is just earned. hung around. Yeah, so that's Old Faithful. That will be the basketball game against Campbell. If it gets out of hand football-wise, I can always do a switcheroo and put football on the small TV. Philip, what's your role that day, Dina, for a producing standpoint? Now, I'll be uh, doing my normal basketball, uh, football duties where I'm the studio host, so I don't think I can get out of that one. So I'm going to be probably uh, doing kind of the same thing as Bobby. There is a, a TV in there, so I but we'll probably bring something to plug into that and then put like basketball on my iPad or something. There you go. That's our uh, first world problems. Double ECU sporting events. I know I'll be watching football. We'll have Kaysen, who will be here tomorrow. He'll be at basketball. Are you going to Boca? I'm not, unfortunately. Although, maybe I should find a way down there. 
where it's warm. All right, Bobby, best of luck tonight, man, in the next few days. We're wishing you the best. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for the time today. Philip. appreciate you as well behind the scenes. We'll be back tomorrow, 12 noon, with Kaysen and Corey Glor. Talk to you then. This has been Hoist the Collars with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Collars on 943 The Game. My hair color is like the seasons, always changing.